Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. Sure. Here we go. In three, two, and one. Simon Mainwaring, how are we doing this morning? I am great. Thank you, Kevin. Fantastic. Great to be with you. Uh, and folks listening to this for the first time, uh, we're going to change it up a little bit. Today, Simon and I, we're going to talk about recent topical news uh, for you to enjoy, to carry on throughout the rest of your day. I think the the goal of today, today's episode, Simon, is we want to help brands, consumers, and leaders, of course, of these organizations help them lead during times of turmoil. So we got a few topics here today. There's no shortage of uh, crises going on in the world today, Simon. Uh, and the first one I want to start with is in Ukraine. Uh, and of course, we all know what's going on in the war in Ukraine. And Simon, I was speaking with someone in Europe the other day, and I asked him, you know, just made a nice sly little joke hey how is the future right obviously he's eight hours ahead of me right you get it how is the future and he said you know that's kind of a loaded question nowadays here in europe uh help bring our viewers into the fold of understanding what the current situation from a business perspective has been in ukraine and what you're seeing in terms of leadership for how businesses are stepping up it's a critical question and you know that sort of quip that you made it couldn't be more sort of on point in the sense that I think the future of leadership is going to be defined by your ability to manage multiple crises at once. So we had COVID, we had the climate emergency, and now we have Ukraine and supply chain disruption. So, you know, when you think about the future, you've got to be able to not sort of default back to the old mindset, which is, hey, you know, there's business as usual, and then there's a crisis as an exception to the rule, but rather the rule is there's a lot of crises going on. So your ability to adapt, to keep working, to keep your business going while you're feeling a little bit off kilter or you're absorbing the next shock out there, that's absolutely critical. And in terms of Ukraine specifically, I mean, just think about what it represents for business. For a long time, we've seen this really important creep from business's responsibility ending at the edges of business to them really play, to business really playing into every issue out there, gun control, same-sex marriage, abortion, and so on and so on. Now, you literally have 
CEOs pulling their companies out of a nation state, as in Russia, to protest their aggression to another nation state, Ukraine. And then you saw President Zelensky talking to CEOs like, for example, Mark Schneider, uh, the CEO at um, the world's largest food company, Nestle, talking about doing business in Russia and so on. So you actually have a head of state talking to a CEO about a state of war. So there's nowhere that business can hide. Like, what does the future of leadership look like? It looks like your ability to manage multiple crises at once, and there is no ceiling in terms of what you're going to be asked to respond to, in the sense that, you know, there's nothing more serious or grave or tragic than war, as we're seeing in Ukraine. So I think it's a new day. There's more expectations on CEO and leadership than ever. And it's not about sort of just trying to troubleshoot in a reactionary way all the time. It's about a whole new mindset. You've got to think about this completely differently so that you can adapt as these different crises sort of present themselves. And, and help me understand here from uh, the leadership perspective of, of a business, what is an ample response time to something that happens like yeah. this? Uh, what, what is your take on getting to know the situation first? And, and, and what are some examples that you've seen that you've uh, admired? Well, firstly, the best response time is not to be silly about it, is to respond before it even happened. In the sense that you preemptively define who you are, what your values are, what issues you're going to stand up for, and what your response to them is going to be. So you're not caught flat-footed. I mean, just think of Black Lives Matter movement, where so many companies reactively sort of got out ahead of it in the sense and said their point of view or, or you know, stated their support for something only to, to find that their employees and consumers said, hey, wait a second. That's not how you've been showing up. And let's look at the constitution of your board and look at how they're compensated and so on and so on. So you're not walking your own talk. So the responsible time frame is to get ahead of it before it even happens. But then when it happens in real time, to make sure you do three things. Firstly, take a beat and have a look at what's going on. Get a sense of all the different inputs that are going on in the marketplace in terms of what it means for other stakeholders, but also your, your own business. Secondly, do an internal audit. Have a look at specific to that issue, whether it's supply chain management or diversity and inclusion and Black Lives Matter movement, or whether it's the war in Ukraine and, you know, and say, okay, how are we showing up? What have we done in the past? Are we exposing ourselves to risk by virtue of what we've done in the past? Or are we, show, you know, this is an appropriate and relevant um, issue for us to speak to, because that's a really important one too. You don't want to jump onto every bandwagon that's out there or every issue that flares up simply because you feel like, you know, you've the absence of you participating will somehow be penal, you know, you'll be penalized for it. And then thirdly, you very consciously craft your message specific to that issue to go out into the marketplace. All of which to answer your question about response time is, if it is authentic and relevant to your brand, you should respond within 24 hours. You should have a point of view on the strength of longstanding you know, purpose and values and so on. And also a very rapid response, internal audit, so that you know, the costs and benefits or risks and opportunities in responding, because that is the expectation from your customers, from your employees, from your investors. If it's relevant to your brand, why aren't you speaking up? So with those steps on board within 24 hours is really critical. And Simon, help the audience out. Who are you speaking to exactly? Are you speaking to large multinationals uh, who have a footprint in Europe and, right. and around the world, uh, uh, global leaders? Are you speaking to um, companies that are, are just stationed here uh, in America or in their own domestic region? You know, I think, you know, not to be funny about it, but it doesn't matter where you are anymore, both in terms of your ability to have a global footprint 
and to be responsible for what's happening all around the world and also the expectation on you to have a point of view, you know, however big or small your company is. If your issue is sustainable agriculture and there's a huge big issue around carbon offsets or something, then you're, no matter where it is in the world, you should have a point of view on that. So I think it's all companies of all sizes. And it's not just for the external optics of it. It's not for PR. It's not just for your customers. More and more, you're seeing employees really, really um, considering where they're working in terms of a values alignment, what it says about them. And there's an implicit expectation that, hey, if we're working here, I'm working here because of what you, that you've, you've articulated your role in the world is. So you're going to speak up and you're going to stand up and you're going to sort of like really walk your talk in a way that validates my choice to be here. So I think what we saw in the great resignation is not only a lot of people saying, hey, listen, I'm just exchanging time for money here and I'm not invested in this and I'm not happy. So I'm going elsewhere because I've been given cause to reflect on my, my life and future. But a lot of people said, I don't like this company. I don't like this leadership team. These guys are jerks. I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. I can get the same money, if not better, somewhere else because I want to work somewhere where it's meaningful to me. So, you know, I think you're speaking to everyone, everywhere, all the time, but not just external audiences, internal audiences as well. And quantifying this too, I mean, what have you seen in terms of, I mean, investors will deem this as, uh, many will deem this as ESG risk, mm -hmm. right? You want organizations who have a focus on these external environmental, social, or governance factors for when things like this happen, such as a black swan event like Putin, right? We don't know what he's going to do, but if you have alliances, right, in this ESG framework, uh, clearly we're seeing businesses banding together, uniting uh, over a unifying cause, uh, and that helps supports uh, uh, investors' risk assessments. So from an ESG risk lens that investors are looking through, um, is this a strong case for a business to make decisions, like you said, preemptively? It is. And the expectation is there. If you look at Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, which is the largest money management firm in the world with $10.5 trillion under management, he came out and said that the economic power of the coalition of brands that came together around the protest against Russia, and that was McDonald's, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, Starbucks, and so on, showed the power of the private sector to actually economically not wage war, but actually, you know, push back against nation states and aggression. And so in all of these cases, whether it's all of us coming together around COVID-19 and a rapid response to the spread of the pandemic and so on, or whether it's the coalitions of brands that came together around Russia and Ukraine and pulling out of Russia and protesting, every one of these is a pilot program for how we work, work together in new ways to move the future forward in a positive way. And so it is positive in terms of, you know, it aligns with your ESG commitments, but not just individually, collectively, because if you're committed to the environment, if you're going to be socially responsible, if you're going to govern your company in a way that's responsible to all stakeholders, working together in these ways is a really powerful way to scale that response. And that's, you know, that's going to be positively perceived in the marketplace as well with, you know, employees and so on. Uh, Simon, I know we could go on this all day. Let's Let's continue to move down the list for the sake of sure. time to keep these a little bit more concise. Um, we just talked a little bit about the war in Ukraine. On that subject, though, of ESG, where does gun control uh, in the United States speaking uh, have a factor? And also, are you seeing any brands 
uh, outside the United States, like you said, had that, uh, that, that worldwide approach, the global approach. Have you seen any brands outside the United States take a stand around gun control or um, some type of gun policy? You know, as a U.S. citizen and an Australian by birth, you know, I've experienced what it's like when countries outside the U.S. put their hands on their heart and say, my God, how does this keep happening? Mm -hmm. You know, these tragic loss of lives. How can there be some sort of motivation or incentive other than the protection of precious lives to determine what legislation should look like and so on? And yet here we are in the United States and there's a lot of weariness and cynicism as to the response to these sorts of tragedies where everyone beats their fist, you know, up on Capitol Hill and so on, but then nothing changes. You know, I think the role of business does have a role to play. I mean, you think about tragedies not so long ago where, you know, the CEO of um, Dick's Sporting Goods came out and said, it's simply the right thing to do. And they banned the sale of assault rifles and then actually destroyed $5 million worth of assault rifles. They didn't want to put them back into the marketplace. And then you saw Walmart after another tragedy, actually, you know, banning the sale of certain items in their stores. So business does have a powerful role to play in terms of being complicit in terms of enabling you know, these shooters to get the weapons that they used. But I also think there's a larger opportunity for business to come together as a coalition and say enough is enough because their investors want it, their um, employees want it, their customers want it, the vast majority of Americans want it. And, you know, simply waiting for it to be legislatively imposed and so on just doesn't seem to be happening fast enough. So I would like to think that business can play a more aggressive role rather than just sort of not selling the weapons themselves, but really using their economic power to persuade, you know, those in government to make the changes. I think that, that it just has to, because we can't let this continue. I can't even imagine as a dad of two daughters, what the hell is it like to go through what these parents are going through right now, these young children, I can't even imagine, you know. And and who are some of the, um, I guess, to solve these issues, you know, I feel like a lot of the solution I've, I've been seeing are the same ones that have been around for the past 10 years. It's background checks. Uh, it, it's limiting gun sales to specific owners, of course. Uh, it's eliminating the, the guns all, all in all. Um, I mean, there, there's just, I feel like the solutions out there are the same echo chambers that have been happening who i guess the question is who out there is going to think a little bit bigger a little bit differently and if you're a company and a leader in that type of seat what's your first move are you trying to really understand the problem do you have time to to send a team to dispatch a team to do the research necessary to understand what's what's behind the motivation sure. how are these sure. problems interconnected now what do you do from if you're actually a leadership in this perspective before you make a stance yeah. on an issue uh, as sensitive as this it's a, it's a really good question, and there's a few layers here. One is, what are, what are the issues that every company, no matter who you are, should speak to? And they are diversity and inclusion. They've got to really commit to that in authentic ways. You know, sustainability or ESG, and then fair and living wage. If you're not getting that right, you don't even have a social license to operate. You're just exposing yourself to too much risk. Then, above and beyond that, you should, as I said before, speak to issues that are relevant and authentic to your brand. So it's not just whack-a-mole. You're not just out there speaking to every issue because it seems to be in the press because that will backfire on you. That said, there are issues like gun control where in good conscience, you feel like you should say something. 
And it's always a tension between what you can say in a personal level, if you're in a leadership you know, capacity to a company, or what you say in a public capacity as, you know, on behalf of that company. Um, and I think, you know, the opportunity, you look at brands like, for example, Tom's. Tom's says, you know, the one-for-one -one model has really migrated towards gun control as one of their primary issues. And to your question, what they've done is a lot of research and a lot of work with those nonprofits and NGOs and foundations that are deeply committed to this issue mm. to both understand the interconnectivity of the issue, the, the complexity of it, and then how to uh, identify those levers for change that will be most effective that you can use in your communications and your response. Because just saying you're upset over something isn't enough. You've got to have a point of view, but then it's got to be quickly followed by an action that everybody can take to move things in the right direction. So your question is a good one, which is you can't be flat footed and just sort of say, oh, I'm going to wade into this issue of gun control without any understanding. And yet there's a timeliness of our response and expectation on that. You've actually got to kind of on these mainstream issues, like if I was in any company, I would say, what's my purpose? What are my values? What's my role in the world? Why do I exist? And then what are the, you know, then you've got your DNI, sustainability and fair and living wage. And then I'll go, what issues are most relevant and pertinent to us and work out what that point of view is. And then also have a look at, okay, what are those issues that are unique to our market? For example, the US has more of these tragedies than anyone else in the world. You know, what is our point of view? When do we speak up and when do we not? And a lot of times a PR partner will help a company do that, but you have to have this toolbox ready for the reasons I was talking about before, which is, there's nothing, nothing is off, off the table now, you know, even if it's a, a war on the other side of the world. So you've got to be ready for these things. And Simon, I love uh, the framework that you've set up for this. Uh, I think that's great. You know, look inside first, look at your culture, uh, work with the people on the ground who understand this the best and, and solve this in a business type way to give them the funding that they need to then hopefully, hopefully result in business results. And when I think of business results, I think of like the, the many things that you have mentioned on the show over you know a few years now you know the employee engagement the productivity retention um and, and just the unlocks kind of the uh, and unleashes the the purpose within the individual where they can come to work every day and be much more productive now i want to point out the elephant in the room if a company were to do this if a company were to do this on gun control on uh, very progressive issues from a dei perspective are they um, turning away conservative workers in the workforce who don't have aligned values, would that go against DEI? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, not everyone's progressive. Not everyone has a certain point of view on these issues. And you need to create space for everyone's point of view. And the danger to, or the challenge today is that everyone's point of view is increasingly polarized because it's informed by social media and so on, which is pulling us apart on issues. So that's that's one part of it. But secondly, you cannot create a hostile environment where someone feels alienated because they, they're not allowed to have their own point of view. And I'll share something with you, which is sometimes we work with very progressive companies that are really at the bleeding edge of the activist brand. But even within those brands, there is a spectrum where some people are like, yeah, we really wanted you to speak about this issue, but did you have to talk about it that way? Why couldn't you talk about it this way? So they're right on the bleeding edge. They're like always out front. And they're like, talk to us and go, oh my God, we've got this spectrum internally and so on. And then you've got this wider spectrum, which is, hey, we're, we're at either ends, you know, on this issue, you know, or many issues. So you have to create a safe space, <clears throat> psychologically and emotionally safe space for your employees. And there's tools out there like Fishbowl that Glassdoor has and others 
where you can have forums of discussion around particular issues. Or another example might be when VF, uh, after the tragic murder of George Floyd, VF Corporation, a large apparel company that owns Timberland, the North Face Vans, they had listening sessions and they got over a thousand employees coming together to just talk about the issue. People of all backgrounds and all points of view. And they just create a safe space, a safe forum for that. So your point is well taken. You do have to allow for everybody's point of view. That is an individual's right and you cannot prescribe how people think. In reality, I think people self-qualify. Like if they go to work at a certain company, they are kind of aligning themselves with what their perception is as the, the point of view of that company. So you're not going to have a huge mismatch there. Right. But within that that audience, that population, you have to allow people to have their own point of view. And and just for the sake of time here, I just want to go down our, our list that we yep. went through and just ask you, you know, one question each on each of these topics. Uh, COVID, we all, COVID-19 and monkeypox, we all really just went through a really hectic time. We were trying to figure it out. I mean, wow, getting out of that still, it's still around, of course, don't want to be uh, uh, naive. Um, but if, if let's say monkeypox uh, tends to have the same spread rate, uh, do you or do you not uh, force uh, your employees to get a, the monkeypox vaccine? Firstly, if monkeypox becomes a thing, and I think it's transmitted as best as I've read, you know, sexually and otherwise, you know, as opposed to, you know, so hopefully it won't be quite the same condition. But if there is another pandemic, here's my first reaction. Oh my God. Are we really, are we up for this? Are we really up for this? I think everyone's just going to drink their way through the day and their heads are going to explode in public. It's just going to be like, we're going to combust. But, you know, the, on all of these issues, whether it's going back to work some of the time, all of the time, whether it's getting vaccines or not, you know, it's put companies of all types, all sizes, all industries in a very difficult position, which is in terms of legal exposure, in terms of safety for their own employee base, and in terms of their ability to function as a company by having people where they need to be to get the work done, there's inherent tensions within all of that. And I think we're seeing it shake out on a case-by-case -case basis. So whether it's working at home or working at the office or a hybrid, I think we're seeing right now, this moment in time with all of these things informing it, you know, in terms of pandemic and so on. Um, we're seeing like three days a week and there's a hybrid model that's shaking out everywhere. In terms of vaccines and so on, it seems to be that companies are increasingly mandating vaccines so that those who want to go back to work can feel safe going back to work. Or the alternative is everyone feels unsafe and therefore it, it just kind of kicks the can down the road in terms of the issue of going back to work or not. So I think it's case by case, but every brand needs to make its own decision informed by best practices out there in terms of legal exposure, the viability of their company and the issue that they're dealing with. Uh, climate change, carbon credits you mentioned. Small obviously. topics here, Kevin, small topics. Yeah, you small know, just topics. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's move on to climate change. Uh, yeah. The Obviously, carbon credits becoming an increasing, uh, the biggest opportunity around, right now, hmm. the fastest growing asset class. If you're a large multinational, uh, should you or should you not uh, invest into the development of a carbon credit project? You know, a few layers here. Firstly, there's not just carbon going up into the air. There's the repository of carbon that's already up there that needs to be drawn down and so on. So there's two issues there. It's not just about reducing the amount of carbon mm -hmm. you're producing. Mm -hmm. Secondly, with carbon credits, there's a big issue here because ultimately, or it, as it's played out in a lot of cases, it's just become another financial instrument where carbon cowboys are making money of it and kick, money off it and kicking the can down the road by selling these you know, carbon offsets everywhere and so on, while not actually reducing the amount of carbon that's going up into the air. 
we need to see new system. So you need to, yes, use carbon offsets, but also you need to reduce your carbon footprint. You need to do the heavy lifting and transitions and capital and time investment to move away from a supply chain that actually creates carbon in the first place. And then you can invest in all of these different strategies and technologies that actually, you know, pull carbon out of the air. And one further subset of that is, you know, when you think about who is best equipped to steward the renewal of you know, the biosphere and our planet at large and so on, I think there's a big shift to making the carbon credit market be informed by indigenous peoples around the world, whether it's in Ecuador or other markets and so on, as true stewards of the forests like in Brazil and so on, that are really making the restoration and course correction of our future possible. So there's a number of different layers there, but we need to combine carbon offsets with actually reducing the amount of carbon you're producing. And then those who actually drive the regenerative movement that's going on need to be those who are best equipped, informed and, and experts in this field. And that is indigenous um, nations that have been, you know, working symbiotically with the natural world for, for centuries. Uh, last topic, abortion. Another big topic, of course. Wow. This is like a <laughs> what is it um, tuesday morning no who knows? for number four abortion um yeah so question here simon let's just wrap this up um what should not what should you not do when you're addressing your organization with regard to the, the recent legislation on abortion legislation is, a, is an interest i mean sorry abortion is a really well it's a very meaningful one in my household with you know young daughters and so on um but above and beyond the personal side of it, I would say that there's a huge tension between what the majority of Americans, according to research and data, want and what arguably is going to come out of SCOTUS, you know, the Supreme Court, based on the you know, draft opinion that was leaked. Um, I am a, personally a fan of those companies that invest in allowing their employees to travel, to be responsible for their own health. I mean, you know, and also the fact that you know, um, Plan B and these sorts of things are FDA approved drugs, you know, um, so, you know, there's a legitimacy um, to them. But what should you not do? You shouldn't tell people what they, they choose to believe um, as to what is right or what is wrong. You shouldn't wade into an issue which is completely irrelevant to your business, um, but you're just doing it to have had the optics of participating or to point to yourself by speaking to this issue or being provocative, you're going to get a lot of attention. So you're just exploiting that issue. Um, and you shouldn't wade into it without taking a very sober look at both sides of the case and a spectrum of opinion within your own employee population and the, the, the cost or benefits to your business by doing so. The challenge I think that you're pointing to today is, you know, whether it's gun control, abortion, and so on, these, these social issues, there's such hot buttons. People are so polarized and they're so real and present in our daily lives. It's almost like a leadership of company of any size is like, you know, do you pull the pin on that grenade? It's just gonna kind of, you know, um, really blow up in terms of working for you or against you and so on. And so you do have to be very, very cautious. And that's why I come back to this point about being preemptive really identify your point of view on the, what issues you're going to speak to, when you're going to speak to them, what you're going to say, so that you can react in appropriate time and um, make sure that you've got a defensible point of view that you've thought through so you don't expose yourself to more risk, but you're also speaking to issues that are really meaningful to you. Simon, thank you for your wise and timely responses today. Um, appreciate you coming back on the show. Looking forward to next month.
looking forward to next month as well. Thank you, Kevin. So great to have a chance to, to sort of lock frontal lobes again. Thanks. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to get access to all of Real Leaders Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a 100 dollar a year subscription hit the link in the show notes enter in coupon code podcast 20 to receive access to all of real leaders to get you to the next level thanks for listening to this episode and always keep it real